ten fifteen.
And then, you know, it's terrible. I mean, if it, wouldn't it be nice if you were an unsullied friend? Wouldn't it be great if you, you know, were a pure person? I mean, pure. I mean, like some of the really, truly beautiful people. I mean, I mean let's face it, Joan Baez is a pure person. Pure, absolutely pure. It has none of the human failings that, uh, you know, all of the rest of us have got. You know, like sneakiness, talking out of sight of the mouth, once in a while spitting on the fern plants and all that stuff. Oh, no, no. It, it would be great to be unsullied. But nevertheless, I, you know, I pull my mantle of candidism. I, I wear it like a kind of a furry sweater. See, and I pull it down and I'm driving through this town in Jersey. And all of a sudden I see this sign. I mean, amid all the other signs, you know, the signs that say, uh, you know, all kinds of signs over there, ranging all the way from beer signs to so on. Because, uh, you know, a lot of people don't like signs. As a matter of fact, I, I do. I, I, I think the signboard is my, really, my true medium. I could work in that medium. And I like it. I, I'm excited by signs. In fact, I look for signs. In fact, I find the countryside in places like Wyoming offensive. No signs. I mean, what the hell? A tree is a tree. But only man can make a sign. And so, uh, hey, that was pretty good. <laughs> so uh, I'm driving along there, see, through Jersey, and all of a sudden I see this sign, and it says, Widget Corporation, Company Picnic, that way. And it was an arrow. And do you know, it was all I could do to control myself. To turn left, follow the arrows, and go to the Widget Company's International Picnic, or Pitnik, as it's pronounced in Jersey. It was all I could do. Because you're looking at a retired company Pitnik freeloader. Now, I, no, I'm serious. Now, I, I'm, I'm just going to tell you, this is a story I know that you've never heard because I've never told it because I'm very ashamed of it. There's a lot of stuff you ain't heard, friends. And I'm very ashamed of this thing. And uh, right now, at this minute, there are probably 5,000 people right here in the city of New York, in Manhattan particularly, who freeload at company cocktail parties. Now, it's easy to do. All you got to do is go into any, any hotel lobby, any time of the week, you know, and there's always this thing. It says, uh, events today, you see. And at the top, it'll say, uh, a Pitcairn propeller company, 23rd floor, cocktail party, introducing new propellers. And you get up on the elevator. You may have your choice. See, there's maybe 15 or 20 of these, you know, like the, uh, you know, like the, uh, Pipkin, uh, Pipkin washer company. It's on the 15th floor in the Starlight Room. And they're introducing new exciting concepts in washers. And so what you do is uh, you pick whatever you want, you know, and you get in the elevator. Of course, remember, you got your suit on. Got your suit. See, looking very official. You walk up uh, out of the elevator and you walk back and you see a whole bunch of people all standing around drinking martinis. And uh, they're waving back and forth, a lot of talk, abbling along, you know. And you'll see a couple of guys with long, big slack jaws. And you'll see a big thing up on the board. It's usually a great big picture, the new washer. It says, Washer, 1970, and you. And, of course, the Pipkin Washer Company has come through with the newest concept of washers, the biggest thing since Galileo ground his first lens. And you walk back there, see, and there's always a girl sitting by the desk, see, and she says, uh, yes, uh, let's see, do we have you registered? And all you have to say is, uh, I'm with Mr. Bullard. And you say it very fast, I'm with Bullard. She says, oh, okay, of course, of course. And she'll give you a button. You pin it on you, and you go in. 
And the next thing you know, you're skunked out of your ears. You're drinking the martinis as fast as you can grab them. You knock down about 5,000 hors d'oeuvres. And you pick up a check and you leave and you, you know, that's your night. The whole thing. Usually you can also get yourself into a crowd that's going somewhere that night later, you see, on an expense account. And they say, who are you with? You say, I'm with Bullard. We're out of Canton, Ohio. And without you know, you're with him. And the next thing you know, you're down in the village eating bagels and the whole bit. And it hasn't cost you a thing. And you might have made an interesting friend who might be willing to go home with you. And that's all part of the whole scene. Now, I, as a kid, didn't know that I was already getting involved in that. Innocently. Well, I'll tell you what happened. It's, oh, when I think about it, everybody's got his price, you know. Everybody's got the a whole drift, like a like a like a snow drift of evil, past sins and crimes that rest next to the obelisk of his inner self. <laughs> I like that image. Can you see your inner self an obelisk there? By the way, you notice, did you ever hear Frank Howard of the Washington Senators? Yeah, he's six feet, seven inches tall, fantastic slugger. You notice what they're calling him these days? The Washington Monument. <laughs> That's a great nickname, you know. So, nevertheless, uh, uh, here I am, you know, I'm a kid, I got this bike, me and Schwartz and Flick and Pruner, with a nice hot summer day, you know. And about two miles away from us was this forest preserve. Now, you know what is it, a forest preserve, right? Well, it's like a big park, you know. So here's a forest preserve down there, and we're riding our bikes all the time. It's hot, summer day. And one day, there was a great big bunting sign over there. Tremendous sign by the park. and had arrows over it. It says, this away. Uh, you know, it was, it was written in the, in the kind of dialect. Say, this away, a Greek American, a picnic. Well, there were all kinds of signs all the way down. So Schwartz says, let's go to the picnic. So we ride our bikes down there, and you, you know, you hear the yelling and hollering in this, in this, uh, this huge forest preserve. We followed some more arrows, and there was a guy handing out buttons and pins. So we arrive up in front of it, you know, with our bicycles, and he says, Oh, the kid, he says, Already here, I'll come on in. And you can hear the band, you know, on the pistons. You can hear them knocking them out, yeah. And the Greeks are running around and hollering and yelling, you know, eating the Usapiko. And they're dancing and yelling. Schwartz and Flick and I fitted right into that scene. I'll tell you, the band was playing. The chicks were yelling and hollering. There were guys crawling in and out of the weeds, you know, drinking that Greek wine that tastes like turpentine. Ugh, you know, ouzo and all that jazz. And they're handing out all the free moussakis and the junk. And we were eating ourselves silly. Running around with those Greek chicks, you know, the whole bit and yelling. We became more Greek than any Greek at the picnic. You'll be, you see, all you have to do is snap your fingers, you know, once in a while. Hoppa, 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 Well, okay, thank you, thank you. That's enough. That's enough Greeks for tonight. Well, it was, uh, it was exciting. And and uh, we spent uh, we were, we must have gone down there about two o'clock in the afternoon and we didn't get out of there till maybe eight nine o'clock at night. I mean those picnics go on and on and on. Boy, what a fantastic time! Well, <laughs> it's very hard to tell your mother or people at home where you've been. You know when you've been uh, hijacking, uh, you've been a uh, a stowaway in a Greek American picnic. So you know it's just great uh, great afternoon. And uh, you know that was the first time I ever actually tasted Greek food. And they make these things, you know, they roll, they roll things up in, uh, in, uh, in grape leaves. 
And uh, you've, you've had that, haven't you? The grape leaves, those little uh, hors d'oeuvres. Well, Jimmy only eats Italian food. You better you better ask your friends in there what this is. It's very good stuff, see? <laughs> and, and, and so I must have eaten seven pounds of those things. I mean, wrapped up in grape leaves with all kinds of little uh, kind of uh, uh, rice and little pieces of... Uh, yeah, they're terrific, see? So I ate a whole bunch of that stuff. And then they had this feta. They kept saying, feta, feta, feta. Well, this is this goat cheese. Well, when you're a kid and you eat about six pounds of goat cheese, you eat about 1,900 of these things wrapped in the grape leaves, you eat a lot of that stuff, that musaki, and then you drink about four or maybe five gallons of yuhu to wash it down, you've got some excitement going. A few, you know, a few hours later, it's like a giant compost heap down inside. <laughs> well, I get home, see. And, of course, I, I'm, I'm living in a family. You know, my mother, you know, a strictly meatloaf and red cabbage family, you know. Our, our idea of a real foreign dish, real foreign dish, was to buy a can of sauerkraut. That was that was foreign food, see. And, uh, you know, so we, we're a strictly meatloaf type. Mashed potatoes, meatloaf, a little, uh, once in a while, a little red cabbage. And uh, a, a racy, a really racy dessert around our house would be when my mother would put uh, canned, no, canned peaches in strawberry jello. <laughs> yeah, well, that's what I say, too. I mean, <laughs> are there any jello fans listening tonight? I do not wish to offend you. I'm sure there must be a jello fan somewhere. But uh, nevertheless, no, 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 no. Each man to his own hang-up. I'm sorry. I mean, I'm sorry. Some people like stuffed radishes. I've met them. Sorry, Jim. Stuffed radishes stuffed with liver pate. It's awful, but I've seen him. Who am I? Each man must go his own way in his life. Some people go for hashish, other people for yoo and then there are those who like jello. I say be tolerant. Well, anyway, I'm, you know, I'm, I come reeling home about 9 o'clock at night full of Greek food. This is WOR New York, friends. In case you want to know who is giving you all this great, wonderful cooking advice here tonight, I come reeling home. And, uh, and I'm all excited. See, I've had a wild day. See, the first time I ever knew anything about Greeks. It's just wild. And, uh, of course, a whole new world was beginning to open up. Well, that is all that opened. I came home, <laughs> and I'm home about 20 minutes, when all of a sudden the yoo started to, you know, started to interact with the feta, which was interacting with the grape leaves. And about 10 minutes later, I felt it coming up. Well, my mother, you see, I told my mother that I'd had lunch over at Flick's house. I didn't tell her I'd been, you know, cheating in the picnic. And, man, I want to tell you, for about a half an hour. Oh, you, is there any worse feeling, friends, than total nausea? I don't think there's any worse feeling. I'm serious. Total nausea. I'm, I'm, I'm talking about the crawling, sweating, cold flashes, you know. Any minute now, I'm going to die of nausea. That's one of the worst things. You know that that uh, that uh, certain brainwashing techniques utilize that technique. Did you know that? Oh yeah, they take a guy in. Oh yeah, absolutely. This this they they first started using the Korean War. They take a guy, you know, and they want to bust him. See, so uh, you know, here he's a POW or something, and they want to find out where the uh, 427th Infantry Regiment is. See, uh, and you know, the guy says, well, he doesn't want to tell him. He doesn't want to tell him that they're back at the PX. You know, sitting around or eating Milky Way bars. So uh, they say, come on, tell us. And he says, no. Oh, you tell. You Yankee, you tell. You imperialist, capitalist dog, you tell. Well, of course, he doesn't tell. Well, the next thing you know, they stick a Mickey in his potato soup. And he knocks down the potato soup, and for three days after that, he is so sick, man, he wants to die. And then you are vulnerable. 
vulnerable. After the third day of that, they ain't nothing. You don't care what happens to the 427th Institute Mess Kit Repair Battalion. You don't care. I mean, just take that stuff out of my potato soup. Take it away. And you know how they do it? They make you nauseous, see? Now, I'm telling you an actual fact. They make you very nauseous by, you know, putting some chemical in your food. And then when you're really sick, oh, man, you're so sick, then they bring to you great big cuts of, uh, like, uh, you know, <laughs> great big chunk of uh, mutton. <laughs> some real, something that would make you sick anyway, see? But they bring you the great big chunk of mutton that's dripping gravy, see? <laughs> they say, here, you'll want food. Here, Red Cross say you'll get food. And they hand food, and uh, off it goes again. Then they say, oh, you don't like food. Red Cross say you eat food. And then they cut a chunk off, and they stick it in your trap. Uh, oh, believe me. I'm, I'm just telling you how, how, you know, how this stuff really works, this brainwashing. So I am just sick in the dawn. It took me a long time to reconcile Greek food again with life. Well, one week goes by. Hot summer, you know. I have recovered by Tuesday... And I'm out of my bike by Wednesday. You know, you're getting itchy. You know how it is when during summer vacation you get you start getting itchy. You know, you know, you know and you're looking for something. You're looking for action. I think males spend most of their life looking for action, right, men? <laughs> Let the women's live handle that one. I mean, baby, if you can go to your left, okay. But uh, nevertheless, uh, they're always looking for action. And uh, so, you know, it's by Wednesday. We're starting to get real sweaty, looking for action. Thursday, flick shows up on his bike. He says, hey, did you see the signs down the forest preserve? So what signs? He says, well, yeah, you know, signs down the forest preserve. So, oh, no kidding. So we ride like mad. Now, Friday morning, so we ride like mad down the forest preserve to see what this week's attraction is. Great big sign. American Legion. Picnic. Saturday morning. It says, American Legion, post number 422, the Edward W. Gumpox post. Well, okay. So... Crack of dawn, we are in line with all the cars that are going in, you know. <laughs> and by, you know, by 10 after 10, man, you never saw anything. They got this Dixie band blowing. I mean, the Dixie band is a playing away there. You know, their fans are yelling and hollering. And you have never seen anything unless you've seen an Indiana American Legion yearly picnic. It is a sickening sight. I want to tell you, you guys running around, they got these bags of water, they're squirting them out of each other, and they get these, you know, these, these shock sticks, and they're yelling around and fucking each other. They get these little hats that look like banana splits, you know, these funny little hats with the badges all over. Running around, millions of hot dogs. They had hot dogs. They had tubs of hot dogs. And gigantic steins of beer. They had 4,000 gallons of mustard. They were handing out Hamburgers. They were handing out pop. They were handing out stuff as fast as they could open it up. And we are in line. Me and Schwartz and Flick and Bruner. See, we make the first scene through. You know, three hot dogs, four bottles of pop, 15 Eskimo pie bars. We start around. We get in the back end. We start through again. The band is playing and yelling and howling. Four trips later, I remember seeing Schwartz climb away off of his bike and under a table. I could hear him heaving for, you know, for hours on end. We get up, we go back and ride again, you know, see, because you know, you don't want to waste all this good stuff, you know. People yelling, hollering, zap. Well, that was some picnic. Went from 10 o'clock, <laughs> went from 10 o'clock, I must have gone all the way through till, oh, maybe, oh, 7, 8 o'clock before we started to wind down. The band has marched away, they've tapped all the kegs, and now we are on to something good. You know, we, we kind of accepted the first picnic as a fluke. Well, from that minute on, every week we would look forward 
to whatever company picnic, and they used to have these wild company picnics, like uh, the Briselli Chemical Company would show up. Uh, the Sinclair Oil Company, because all these big steel mills. And when they have these picnics, of course, sometimes 25,000 people show. You know, I, I, became, I became an aficionado of picnics. I could tell the cheapy companies... You could tell the companies that were in trouble, you know, they were trying to bail themselves out. You could tell the, the companies that were having labor troubles because what would happen, see, all the, all the guys from the shipping department show up, a bunch of tough-looking guys, you know, a whole bunch of guys from the truck department, the guys down in the uh, the uh, shipping department would show up, great, you know, heavy jaws, great big... Would they, uh, when, when, when you knew there was trouble, they would show up wearing their hard hats. They're going to fight at this picnic. And, oh, yeah, I, I saw one company picnic one time... Uh, the, the the fight, I don't, you never know where the fight started because they always have these softball games. You know, the skinny guys playing the fat guys or the married guys playing the single guys, see? And uh, we had no interest in that. See, these guys down there playing softball. And the fight would always start down there. You'd hear this crump. All of a sudden, everybody's pouring like mad down there. You know, hot dogs are flying. And you see about 65 guys rolling around on the ground. Their shirts all torn off. And they've got their funny hats they've been giving, you know, yelling and hollering, hitting each other with the softball bats. Well, <laughs> it would spread, of course, because there's a lot of chauvinism. I mean, really, uh, maybe you're not aware of the chauvinism that exists in the interdepartmental level between companies. Now, for example, I worked in the, in the steel mill, you know, and I can tell you this. The tin mill hated the coal strip's guts, absolutely, because they always figured the coal strip had the best deal. And, uh, you know, they, they were like white-collar workers, see? <laughs> and, the, and the coal strip hated the 14-inch merchant mill because they felt that if the 14-inch merchant mill would only come up with, a, you know, with, a, with, a, with, a, with enough steel next week, these guys would make their bonuses. But no, so all these departments hate each other, and it's, it's only, they're only unified by one mutual hate. That's for the company. Okay. But what happens when they show up at a picnic and the coal strip is playing a tin mill? And somebody gets a bad decision at second base. When everybody's got 50 bucks riding on the game, and that's the trouble. They all start betting. And boy, I'll tell you, it's no game after a while when you have four guys from the from the tin mill shipping department slugging it out with three guys from the coal strip flying shears department. You have got hard men battling. And it's not the kind of picnic, incidentally. That, wouldn't it be great if they showed a picnic like that in one of the beer ads? Company picnic breaks up in a giant fight. They hit each other with a head, you know, with the Miller Highlight beer. You, know? <laughs> you won't see that, you know, unfortunately. But uh, nevertheless, we became re really great, you know, very, very, uh, we became very discriminating. Uh, we would show up at a company picnic, uh, uh, let's say the International Paper Hat and Drawer Company. We would show up there, and within five minutes, you could tell whether it's going to be a dog. So Schwartz would say, oh, come on, let's split that, a dog, what a bad picnic. And, uh, you know, we'd eat a couple of hot dogs and leave. That'd be the end of that one. Putting them down every inch of the way. And even to this day, I look in, in the paper, and you know, I'll see ads for companies uh, that, that I once attended their company picnic. And I'll have either a warm feeling or, oh, you know, forget it feeling, uh, or an angry feeling or some bad thing that happened. But every picnic had its own character. Every one. And then came the ultimate strange... It's, I, I, I hope you don't misunderstand what I'm about to tell you because it's a, this is a true story and it's one of the strangest things that ever happened to me in my life and it came about in this picnic scene. And I'll tell you what happened. I don't know whether I should or not. I No, because it was, it, it's a very strange... Peculiar 
totally relevant, incidentally, memoir, and I mean relevant to everything. I mean everything that's going on today. Now, we had gone to every picnic, roughly every picnic. Sometimes we'd skip one, you know, but, you know, it was a bad, like, piano movers picnic. You go down and they do anything, but, you know, all he was wrestle or something like that. And uh, so we wouldn't, we wouldn't uh, go to some of them. But I attended with Schwartz and Flick and Bruner. I must have attended 15 picnics when this happened because it happened way at the end of the summer. It was getting hot, you know, really. Because uh, out in the Midwest, uh, in fact, any place out in the Great Plains, you are very, very aware and conscious and attuned to the environment. Now, here in this area, in the eastern seaboard, you got this great ocean out here. And the ocean is a tempering thing, which means that the winter doesn't get very cold here in New York, even though guys yell a lot about it. It doesn't, you know, forget it. Believe me, you, you don't even really need an overcoat in New York. And it doesn't get really very hot here, even though you think it does. I can only say to you that if you think it gets hot in New York, friend, you have never been where it gets hot. But out in the Great Plains, it gets both of them. Man, all the way. And so, late in August, when the sun is sitting there, and it's about four million miles across, and there's a kind of a brassy quality to the air, and the steel mills off in the distance have been belching blast furnace dust up into that atmosphere, day and night, day and night, it sort of hangs low, the air has a has a curious uh, kind of an orange, red, gray, greenish cast, and the sun hangs at a, at a peculiar angle in August, and at night, when the moon comes up, that's something to see, man. In August, late in August, in early September, because the moon gets unbelievably enormous because of the curious invection currents, the the uh, the feeling in the air itself. It's caused by it's caused by light bending, is what it's caused by. And the light is bent because of the, of the heavy atmosphere that's hung low because of this heat laying down on the ground. And this, sometimes, you know, it's hard to believe it. Some, I have actually seen the moon in hot late August and early September days in Indiana literally stretch almost from one end of the horizon to the other. Now, it sounds like I'm exaggerating. I am not. It's a strange, shimmery... And it only lasts for a few seconds, that image. Maybe a minute or two. But when the moon gets in a certain place and all the light is bent right, the atmosphere itself acts as a fantastic, unimaginably huge telescope. And this moon is suddenly a great orange, curious kind of disk. From It's very strangely misshapen. And it's not particularly beautiful. It's a little scary, actually. And it's dark orange. With little, it's called a blood moon. Have you ever heard the term blood moon? It's called a blood moon. It's a red color. Sort of gray, smoky, drifting wisps that go drifting over it. It just hangs there. And it's hot. Oh, my God, is it hot. I mean, it is so hot that you just sit. No matter what you do, the water just pours off you. It just drips. The humidity stands maybe at... Oh, 140, 150%. Oh, yeah, you can just reach out and grab a chunk of air and just sort of wring it out, you know, and stuff drips out of it, you know. You just sit there. And then there are mosquitoes. The mosquitoes start moving out of the big swamps, out of the uh, shores of the lake. We're talking about Lake Michigan here. They start moving out of the reeds roughly the end of July, and they become epidemic around the middle of August. And you see these great black swarms. It looks like drifting puffs of dust and smoke 
You can actually see them outlined against the moon, great, great drifting clouds of mosquitoes, and you can hear them. You can hear a, a long, low, distant hum all the time. It's mosquitoes. And bats. Yeah, the bats come out. And you can see these bats around 8, 9 o'clock flitting around the street lights. You just see little black bats. Off he goes. He is eaten right off the top of the hog because they love it when the mosquitoes are out. And by the way, that's one of man's very few total defenses against the mosquito are the bats. So if you don't like bats, man, you know, many states, they're protected because a bat will just fly through a swarm of mosquitoes, man, with his mouth wide open, sucking. <laughs> and he'll just suck them in and he'll eat millions of them in a day. So you see the bats, you see the drifting mosquitoes, and you see the moon hanging low. It's hot. Once in a while, a car goes by, and you can you can smell the heat from the car itself, the, the paint and the, the bad upholstery. It just lays there. Well, it was on a Saturday, just like that. Temperature, maybe 95, and I'm not exaggerating, 95 to 100. Humidity, exactly the same. Mosquitoes moving out. Big moon just about to come up. Schwartz comes driving by on his bike. Says, me and Flick and Bruner are going to a picnic. I says, a picnic? What do you mean a picnic? At night? He says, yep. They say there's a picnic down at the forest preserve. Let's go. So I get my bike out of the garage and Elgin, in case you're curious. And I get out on the road behind Schwartz and Flick and Bruner and we start pedaling off into that fantastic moon through this enormous swirling clouds of mosquitoes, dripping sweat behind us as we went, heading to the forest preserve. It's the first time I ever went to a picnic that was at night, actually began at night. Well, we arrived at the forest preserve, and there was just a great big banner across the front, and it had a symbol on it. No letters at all. And we drifted down the gravel road. Down the gravel road we drifted. Sneaking in. The heat, oh, my God, that heat. And it was a kind of excitement. Now, going to a picnic at night, it was a quiet picnic. There was no band playing. They usually, almost every, in fact, I would say without exception, every picnic we went to had some kind of a cockamamie band. Either it was the uh, Greek-American accordion players... Uh, it was a Dixie band. They always have Dixie bands. Once in a while, some of them would show up with a bunch of guys playing little round things. You know, <laughs> that was the Croatian-Americans. Little round things. And they had these puffy sleeves. You know, the guys with the black suspenders and all that. But this one had no band at all. Nothing. And we could see some lights through the woods up ahead of us. Kind of orange lights bobbing up and down. And then we saw... Are you ready, friends? Are you really ready? I couldn't believe it. There in front of us was a whole strange shifting mass. It looked like some mirage. There were little ones and big ones. I mean, little ones about three feet high. Maybe a foot high. And there were some big, tall, skinny ones. But they all looked alike. A great crowd of them. And they were moving past a long table that had the food out there. 
They had potato salad, in case you're curious. And it looked like boiled hot dogs. We didn't stay long enough to find out. I said to Schwartz, what the heck is that, Schwartz? Schwartz, is the picnic. And Flick says, yeah, come on, let's go. See, Flick was the dill dog of the crowd. He was always ready to go, you know. He'd, if the tarantulas were having a picnic, he'd be there, you know. He didn't care. And Bruno says, oh, I'm scared. What is it? Schwartz's. It's the Ku Klux Klan. We were at the yearly picnic of the Ku Klux Klan. The KKK. Have you ever seen a crowd of Ku Klux Klaners moving around in the woods with their their capes? Those long pointed hoods and robes with the two little black eyes? with the big cross on the chest. And there were some of them that had wild colors, like red. Some of them were purple. They must have been big shots, you know. And there were little kids, whole crowds of them, getting plates full of potato salad. Somehow, it's a little scary to think of a ghost eating potato salad. Makes it even worse. We just sat on our bikes for about five minutes to look at the scene. And finally, Schwartz says, let's get out of here. Flick says, oh, come on, come on, get okay. Schwartz says, oh, come on, let's go. We're going to get in trouble. I don't like this. And Bruner's already crying. He's not saying nothing. <laughs> and some guy started to look around with a flashlight, one of these guys with the long, high cape. We got on our bikes, and we pedaled like belly be damned over the gravel road through the long, winding forest under the great orange moon, surrounded by hordes of gray, moving, misty mosquitoes, until finally we are out on the superhighway. Out on the superhighway. Except to say that uh, that is one picnic that I did not forget soon. I remember it vividly. I remember those white, curious... They look gray in the dark light of the moon. Those curious white, gray shrouds. It looked like some... Almost like a fantastic uh, conclave of, of evil spirits. Which is, I guess, what they wanted to look like. Oh, and one thing. The light. How they lit the scene. They had a huge cross that was burning. Actually, a burning cross. Have you ever seen a burning cross? You haven't? You've heard of it. Listen, hearing of it ain't the same as seeing it. That's like hearing about King Kong. It ain't the same. And so we're riding back on our bikes absolute silence. Somehow that whole picnic scene had changed. I had no idea what the Ku Klux Klan was. 
I just, you know, I'd heard the name. That's all. Just like most of you. I just heard it. And I came home about 10 o'clock. Went up the steps. Into the kitchen. There's my mother. My old lady, see. She is leaning over the sink in her Chinese red chenille bathrobe. You know, the rump sprung hanging there with the petrified egg on the lapel. Her hair is up in curlers. And I felt very strange about this thing. It was really a scary experience. I walk into the kitchen. See, I've had nothing to eat, you know. This is one night I didn't score, you know. Walk into the kitchen, see, and I open up the refrigerator, and there's a half a meatloaf in there. And see, it was a holiday meatloaf. Uh, on, on any holiday occasion, see, it was my kid brother's birthday. On any holiday occasion, my mother put tomato paste on the top of the meatloaf with little tiny sliced olives. That was a gala meatloaf. And so there was a half a meatloaf in there, see. So I take the meatloaf out, start to make a sandwich. My mother's hanging over the sink. My kid brother's under the daybed whining. The old man's sitting in the front room in his underwear, drinking some beer, which is what he always did when he was sitting around his underwear in the middle of August. You could hear him sucking that beer can for blocks. He's the only guy I knew who could down two cans of beer simultaneously. You ever seen that done? That's a real beer drinker. Big time. He used to bite the tops off of beer cans. That's big time beer. He believed in beer. I mean, he believed in beer the way the other guy... Well, the way a Seventh-day Adventist believes. He believed in beer. So I'm making a sandwich. The old man is sucking the beer. The kid brother's under the daybed whining. All of a sudden, I don't know how... I, I, I never. You know, I'm a grown-up now, and I can't do it. But when I was a kid, grown-ups had a peculiar thing like this. My mother suddenly turns and says, What's the matter? There's nothing, nothing, <laughs> nothing. She says, what's the matter? I won't tell your father. I said, Ma, what's the Ku Klux Klan? Clank. She dropped the fork she was drying. She says, what was that? I said, what's the Ku Klux Klan, Ma? Where did you hear that? Oh, you know, I <laughs> just heard it. <laughs> she said, you stay away from that. Don't you ever have anything to do with those people. I said, why? She said, just don't. And I have never had reason to doubt her. We've never mentioned it since. You know, to this day, she doesn't know that I sat in on a Ku Klux Klan picnic. And speaking of the mysterious, get your dough in the mail now. If you want to ward off evil spirits, two dollars, check or money order, to year one, four six zero West Thirty Fourth Street, New York, New York, of course, for that unbelievably groovy year one poster. It will ward off the evil spirits in your life. And they'll send the dough back instantly if you are not sculled out all the way. Year one, 460 West 34th Street, New York, New York. Year one. 
I don't think I've ever told that story to anybody. In fact, I don't even tell it to myself. Oh, there are some rocks down in that fetid garden of our soul that we do not wish to turn over for fear of the evil grubs that we will find underneath. as to what, since I am a recognized aficionado, as far as uh, yearly picnics of various organizations are concerned, the absolute top of all the yearly picnics. Are you curious which one it was? There was one picnic that year after year, me and Schwartz and Flick and Broner never missed. In fact, we got to be such regulars there that they thought we were one of them. And, and, you know, we'd walk in and guys would say, you know, hey, Starshare, come the kids again. Uh, you know. It was the greatest picnic of them all. And I would like to salute them tonight. If there's any of them listening. If you ever get a chance to attend a Lithuanian-American picnic, don't miss it. The Lithuanians are on to the mother load of passion, friends. They know where it is.